Welcome to Bill Bronchick's Real Estate Investing Podcast. Mr. Bronchick is an attorney, best-selling author, and a real estate investor with 25 years' experience. For more information and free articles and videos, visit his website at www.legalwiz.com. Today, we're talking about wholesaling and some of the new regulations that are starting to pop up around the country that is probably going to be a trend we'll see more of. Wholesaling does compete with what real estate agents and brokers do. Thus, they are pushing state legislators to regulate this activity, which has been till now a pretty much a uh, a wild, wild west, uh, for better or for worse. But, um, you know, as a libertarian, you guys know that I don't really like regulation so much. But let's talk about what it is and what it involves, how we work through it or around it or with it, and what are the good, the bad, and the ugly. So, you know, start with the, what is wholesaling as a definition because everyone has a different idea of what that means and how it relates to the legislation. Um, I've always said wholesaling is nothing more than buying and reselling quickly and usually to another investor, not a retail buyer. Uh, Some people do wholesale directly to retail buyers and a retail buyer is someone who's going to live in the property as their primary. Um, But I just don't like that as a practice because it's it's confusing and risky. Uh, The seller is not 100% sure what you're up to, even though you're pretty clear. Um, The person you're wholesaling it to, if they're not a sophisticated person, if they're a retail buyer, they're not clear. Are you a broker? What are you doing here? What's your relationship to the property? As many times as we explain it and document it. If there are three parties involved and two of them are unsophisticated and you're the sophisticated one, you know whose fingers they're going to point to when things go awry. So I would avoid that, except in in the rarest of cases wholesaling to a, a retail buyer and stick to the simple buy low, sell low. Or in our market where things are hot, you know, buy a little below, sell at, sell at market, whatever the case may be in terms of price. If you're in a down market at some point, then it's buy really low and sell really low. <laughs> you're just marking it up a little bit so you can make a profit. So um, the ways it could be done in my wholesaling course, of course, uh, you guys know on LegalWiz.com, there are many different ways to do a wholesale transactionally, um, but the main three are a contract assignment, a double close, or an LLC assignment. Let me go through those three so we're on the same page. Contract assignment means uh, you enter into a contract with the title owner of the property and you assign your position as buyer to another investor who steps in your shoes and closes directly with the owner. There's not two closings, there's only one. You get paid an assignment fee. That's the cleanest, simplest, and easiest way to do that. Now, sometimes you can't do that, either because the seller might be someone like a bank, it's a bank REO, and they're not going to allow you to have an assignment provision in your contract that allows you to assign, or there might be a a specific prohibition of assigning. But generally speaking, when you're dealing with a for sale by owner who's not represented by an agent, or even if they are, and if it's an ordinary seller, 
then you should be able to have the right to assign your contract to somebody else and that person will pay you a fee for that assignment and they step in your shoes and close directly with the owner. That's an assignment. A double close is two closings back to back. Now there's two kinds of double closings. There's the, what we call the wet one and then the dry one. The wet double closing means you come in with funds on a closing and buy it from the owner. And then in the second closing, sell it to another investor who gives you cash and pays you back. That's called wet because it's funded wet in the middle. On the first transaction, you're using your own money or maybe even um, a hard money loan to close the front end and then sell it on the back end and get your money back or pay off the lender you just borrowed from. A dry double, uh, excuse me, a dry double closing is where you have a, a closing with the owner in escrow and then a second closing with your investor and then you use the funds from the second closing to fund the purchase on the first closing. So it's called dry funded, meaning you're not coming in with anything other than earnest money. You're using the, the funds your, your investor is bringing in to buy it from you to fund the transaction when you're buying from the owner. Now, th those are harder to do than they used to be because a lot of title companies don't like them, uh, especially if there's a short sale involved, if there's a bank-owned property involved. But if you're just buying from an individual owner cash and you're selling to another investor cash, there's no reason why you can't find a title company to do a double dry closing where you fund your first closing with the funds from the second closing. Again, you may have to call and talk to 10 different title companies or escrow companies or attorneys before you can find one that'll, that'll allow it or do it. It's not illegal. There's no prohibition against it in any state. It's just a matter of practice. A lot of... Um, Title companies, escrow companies, attorneys who close these things are just not too keen on it because they worry about their own liability, which really I don't see any, but, you know, that's their rules, right? Their business. Um, the third way, third major way, there are many more in the wholesaling course I talk about, but the third thing is called an LLC assignment. So this is a little more, little more complicated and complex. You can go in the course and read about it and listen to it and watch the videos. But in essence, what you're doing is you're creating a, a single purpose LLC just for a deal. You're the owner of that LLC. You're the member. You engage in a contract between that LLC as buyer and the owner as seller. Instead of assigning your contract or double closing, you sell your ownership, your membership in that LLC to the other investor. They step in as the owner and close in the name of that LLC. Now, this is not public record, the ownership of an LLC. Just the registered agent, sometimes the manager, the person who filed it. But the member, the owner of the LLC, is never public record on the Secretary of State. So there's nobody who knows besides you and your other investor that you've changed ownership of the LLC, which is buying this house. And it's kind of like an assignment without doing a contract assignment. It's not doesn't the contract that says you can't assign this. It, it, you're not violating that clause because you're not assigning the purchase agreement. You're selling the ownership of the entity who's buying it. Now, um, I don't want to get too far into the weeds with this because you can go in the course and, you know, look at the forms and, and the videos, how it instructs how you can do this. But 
from what I've seen for the most part, this is still a very viable strategy vis-a-vis -vis the, the uh, wholesaling regulation, as we'll discuss in a minute. Now, first, a lot of people are under the mistaken impression that you need a broker's license or agent's license to wholesale properties in the first place. I've heard that from attorneys, real estate agents, all kinds of other people in the real estate business saying you can't do what you're doing without a license, which is nonsense. Um, most states require a broker's license if you engage, and when I say broker, I'm going to use that agent broker interchangeably. In Colorado, we have brokers and managing brokers, and in most states, it's broker and an agent, but it's the same thing same concept. You need a license to engage in activities and they list a laundry list of buying and selling and leasing and renting and uh, making offers and you read that and you go oh boy I need a license for everything but there's two key words in just about every state licensing statute and those key words are for another. You can't do the following for another unless you have a license. Or if you do the following activities for another, you need a license. And then in the exempt transactions list, they almost always say the same thing. You can buy and sell or lease and rent as a principal, meaning your own property you can buy without an agent. You can sell your own property without an agent. You can lease your own property or lease a property from someone as a principal. So that would exempt pretty much all that we do as real estate investors. Colorado and Ohio don't expressly use the quote for another language in their licensing statute, but they do exempt transactions done as a principle. Um, if this ever went to court, I mean, I think the for another language is implied if you read the statute. Obviously, the definition of broker means for another uh, as an agent of someone else. So I wouldn't get too caught up in the semantics there. If you're if you're acting as a principal, you're pretty much fine. Now, the new regulations, however, Illinois passed it. A few cities have passed it. A couple of states have it in process and expect a dozen more within a year or two that would require an investor to have a broker's license to assign a contract. Now, they generally do not prohibit things like double closings or simply buying a property and a day later selling it, which is just a long double close. Um, and some are a little vague, I'm sure, about whether or not you could have an LLC buy it uh, or put it under contract and then assign your membership in the entity. So. Uh, as lawyers, we always look at what's the loophole, what, not just what the statute says, but what, what does it not say? Um, it, now, it, it, if we get in a situation where someone figures it out at the licensing authorities, will they try to regulate us? Probably, probably, but, you know, it's going to be up to whether the statute is clear or not clear and up to a judge ultimately if you want to fight it or if you want to just if you uh, do it this way which is kind of stealth it's not illegal if the statute is is vague uh, or doesn't address this particular practice and if by some reason someone figures it out which I'm not sure how they would then you either A, say, okay, I won't do this anymore, I'll go get my license, or B, fight him in court and say, well, judge, the statute doesn't prohibit this. Uh, that, you know, it's up to you whether you want to uh, spend the money, the time, and uh, risk losing. 
and if you if you lose, you blow it for all of us. So <laughs> keep that in mind. <laughs> but if they do require a license in your city or state to to do any of these activities, so what? So what? Get your license. It's really easy to get a real estate license. You got to work for about a year and study to get a haircutting license. You could study for about two months and get a real estate license. It only costs a few hundred bucks for the class and a few hundred bucks for the background check, etc. So get your license. It's not that big of a deal. It's going to weed out 95% of your competition if they do pass the statute in your state. Why do you think Facebook and their uh, gang are calling for government regulation of social media. Why would they do that? Because they know that any other startups wouldn't be able to comply. So embrace change and make it work in your favor. Don't whine and bitch, oh my goodness, they're going to regulate us out of business. No, the government works very slowly. Their laws are very vague. We'll find the loopholes. And if not, we'll just get the darn license. And now you've just weeded out 95% of your competition. We're just going to give up. It's fine. Get a license. It's not that big of a deal. Um, some best practices, though, just generally speaking, vis-a-vis the wholesaling laws, regulations, or rules, um, position yourself as a principal with the seller. You're not an agent. You're not acting on their behalf. You're acting on your own behalf. Don't call them something dumb like a client. No, they're not your client. You owe clients a fiduciary responsibility. As a buyer, you owe nothing to a seller other than to tell the truth and deal fairly. Okay, so when you talk to sellers, you are a principal, you are the buyer. And when you're selling to another end buyer, and whether it be an investor or a retail buyer, you're positioning self as acting on your own behalf. And this is where it gets confusing because people use language that suggests their buddy pals and to the allegiance of the seller or buyer as they may be. And this is what has caused confusion, complaints, and ultimately regulation. So, you know, best practices, be clear. Um, ensure that all agreements, of course, are valid under state law. You know, people put nine contingencies in there and zero earnest money it's just probably not going to stand up in a court of law. You know, you have to make it uh, reasonable, reasonable. You know, you could be, it could be favorable, your contract to you, but it has to be reasonable. You know, not some whacked out thing that doesn't even spell out the terms of a contract. Um, make sure in your contract there's, in, the, in, in that regard, some kind of deposit with the seller, earnest money, something. Even a small one, even if you put $100, if, it's, if you don't want to risk $100 or you want to put $500, then put it in escrow with an attorney or title company or broker, okay? A contract that's enforceable gives you an equitable interest in the property, which gives you the right to resell your interest. Without any deposit and with too many contingencies, the argument becomes harder to make that what you're doing is acting as a principal because in the discussions that I've had as an attorney with the regulators who have harassed some of my clients, the key thing they keep going back to is, are you at risk as the buyer? Because if you're not at risk, then you're not really an investor. You're just working around the rules of being an agent by using the wholesaling scheme. 
Uh, and I know that's a fine line. Of course, that's what we're doing. But nonetheless, if you want to say, I'm an investor, I'm a principal, I'm not an agent, then you should have something to risk, something to risk. That's why some kind of deposit, I think, is, is a good idea. Is it legally required to have a binding contract? No, but it puts you at some sort of risk. Um, in your contract, you should have very bright line, clear disclosures of your right and your intent, possibly, to assign or resell for a profit with the seller. There's nothing wrong with saying that. I put a clause right in there that says buyer may resell or assign uh, this contract and for a profit. What's wrong with that? If the seller has a problem with that, then we're mistaken as to our relationship because my relationship isn't buddy pal, I help you out for nothing. It's I do this and I make a profit. Okay? As nice as you want to be, remember, you don't represent their interests. You represent your own. And when you're dealing with your end buyer investor, uh, be clear about that position, that you're not the title donor yet, and this agreement is contingent upon you getting title if you're doing a double closing, or um, if you're assigning it, then you just say, I'm assigning a, an existing contract. You don't really have a second contract. You have an assignment agreement. Um, market and sell the interest that you own. If you have a property under contract with an owner and you're going to assign it, and you put it on Craigslist or something like that, you know, very public, don't say property for sale by owner because that's not true. You're not the owner. You could say wholesale deal available or wholesale opportunity for assignment or something similar to that, but saying for sale by owner is not accurate. And I know it's semantics, but I've seen the regulators make a stink on this point. So just be careful what language you use if you publicly solicit. If you have a list of buyers lined up who are sophisticated investors, you know, I wouldn't worry that much about it. But if you go in public places like Craigslist, you know, be very clear on what you're doing because that's public and everyone can see it. Um, if you are, by the way, a licensed agent or broker or one of your employees, agents or partners in the company are licensed or someone working for you or whatever, disclose, 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 disclose. And by the way, this is kind of a side note. It's not really dealing with the regulation, but just dealing with wholesaling in general. But I've seen this a lot lately. Make sure if you do assign your contract as an investor or you double close, however you resell it, include a comprehensive as is disclosure in your assignment contract or if you're double closing in your second contract to avoid liability from another investor coming back after you with buyer's remorse. I've seen this happen a lot lately where the person you wholesale it to is a sort of green investor um, and then they don't realize there's certain things they should have looked for and then when they find out it's going to cost them more money, they get annoyed and then they come back after you, the wholesaler, saying you didn't disclose something. When the reality is all wholesale deals are as is, nonetheless, put that clearly in writing in as many different ways as you could say it uh, in your paperwork with your end buyer investor. So in short, um, there's many ways to wholesale deals. Some will be regulated out of business out of operation. Some will be harder to do. Ultimately, we may get into the point of all 50 states strictly regulate this activity. So you have to get a real estate license. So what? 
so what? You know, don't you, you can only fight so much in court and fight City Hall before you run out of money, patience, and you become a target. You're better off just giving in, getting your license. And uh, what you're going to do is find that there's a lot fewer people competing with you. If that's the case, the people who are really persistent about this business and want to make a profit will get their license. And the ones that are just casual about it or not very good at it will go away. And that's a good thing for you. So embrace it. Information and free articles and videos. Visit his website at www.legalwiz.com.